Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's season two of Chewing the Gristle with yours truly, Greg Koch. We're having a lot of fun. Got a bunch of great guests lined up. We're talking about guitars. Sometimes we talk about food. Sometimes we talk about aliens. It doesn't matter. We're just having a good old time. We're chewing the gristle for pity's sake. You know, and gristle is where fat meets flavor. Ladies and gentlemen, we got a super picker on our hands here, the mighty Guthrie Trap, hailing from Nashville, Tennessee. You've seen him with Jerry Douglas, Patty Loveless, John Oates, and under his own banner. Ladies and gentlemen, Guthrie Trap, hunt you in the gristle. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back for another edition of Chewing the Gristle. <laughs> and today I've got an old buddy of mine, one of the finest pickers in any land, and a hell of a nice fella, Mr. Guthrie Trap. Guthrie, how the heck are you? Doing good. Uh, thanks so much for having me. A pleasure, my good man. How you been doing? What you been up to? You know, I see these pictures of you on the inner Google. You're in the Bahamas. You're <laughs> in, you know, the Gulf Shores. You're out in Cucamonga. What the hell are you doing? You're you're living the life. I don't know, man. I feel like I'm semi-retired. I like it. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just, man, just kind of uh, taking the advantage of traveling a little bit. Just some things lined up. Uh, my buddy uh, has a place down in the Bahamas, so I went down there for my birthday. And um, yes. just, you know, trying to travel a little bit, have some fun. I um, I will say, though, that just in the past uh, week or so, three or four days, really, uh, the, the the live music scene and, and energy is starting to come back in Nashville, which is just a beautiful thing. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're happy about that. I've been hearing from some venues and stuff about, you know, doing some live gigs and stuff. So, I mean, uh, played Saturday night. And so there's just some things starting to happen, which is good because obviously we've been shut down and have it. You know, I've played like maybe three or four live gigs the whole year. Right. Maybe a handful of sessions, eight or 10 sessions at the most. And and just um, just obviously just been locked down. And man, we're just so ready to get get back to playing some live music. You know, that is for sure. I'm waiting to get my uh, my doggone shots so I can travel around on airplanes again. That's kind of my kind of my thing. Right. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm heading down to New Orleans, I think, uh, tomorrow or the next day. I'm going to go down there and try to do some recording and just hang out a little bit. Um, You're going to hang out with Doug Belote? I'm going to hang out with Doug Belote. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And um, and my good friend Peyton down there. And so, uh, yeah, I'm just, you know, going to go down there for a couple of weeks and then come back and, and kind of get, you know, kind of get settled back in and start start getting some projects together. I think things are obviously things are starting to kind of with the vaccine and everything. Things are starting to kind of loosen up a little bit. So I think we're all just ready for it. You know, oh, I, that's that's a fact. I'm just ready to go to some of my favorite restaurants and kind of kick yeah. back and feast like a warrior of old. Yeah, how are you doing, man, up there? Have you just been kind of hunkered down? Well, I, pretty much. I mean, we, um, you know, uh, luckily for for me, the um, a lot of the video stuff I did, I was able to do from home. So we, um, I had some people help me out with get uh, getting some better cameras and getting the audio pretty pretty good. And so yeah. between doing, you know, four kind of sanctioned live streams a week, and then we do every other weekend with the band, and that's been good. People have been very generous and stuff. So very cool. it, it, it could have been exponentially worse. Let's put it that way. So right. it's, it's, it's been good. And um, although I think my family's probably about ready for me to uh, make noise elsewhere at this particular <laughs> juncture in time, but 
But, you know, it's been fun. All my kids are home right now, which is kind of fun. I'm sure we'll look back at that and, and think, remember that time when we were all home that one year and we had a good old time? And Right. So, right. so it's, 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 it's interesting times without, without question. It sure is. You know, the online thing really saved me this year. I mean, getting into artist works and doing that, uh, that curriculum and stuff, which I'm probably, you know, you're probably the same way, Greg. I mean, you know, I, I'm happiest when I've got about five or six different things going on. Right. You know? Cause it keeps you from getting burned out on just one thing. Right. And so if you're just touring or you're just doing education or you're just doing sessions or whatever, you, you get a little burned out on, on a, just doing one thing. I like to have a bunch of different stuff going on. And so it was a little, you know, uh, kind of odd this past year, but, but thank God for the online education stuff because right. that, that saved me this, this past year. Not only did I, did, did it, go well but 2020 was the best year i've ever had financially in nashville in right 19, in like 18 or 19 years of being here and so now the people that are jumping on there now to, to, to teach and stuff it's like well yeah that you know it's great but it's going to take a while to build it and so i was lucky right. to get in about five or six years ago and when artist works called and said hey would you be interested in doing this i said absolutely and so i was just super lucky and fortunate to have that already kind of going right and then when people are home, they're, they, they're saying that uh, I did an interview with the Washington Post uh, a couple uh, well, about a week ago, and they were saying that there was more uh, guitars and ukuleles and stuff sold in 2020 than like in the past 20 years or something. It's a fact. Yep. Yeah. How yeah, crazy. So it's so, crazy. Yeah. People are, you know, at home. I started cooking more when I had the downtime and learning how to do, you know, things like that. Got some old records out, started playing the mandolin a little bit more, learning some songs and I think everybody was just kind of picking up on some hobbies, you know, because of all the downtime. So right, exactly. You know, guitar. you can't go anywhere. <laughs> How many times have you heard this, Greg? You've heard it a million times. You know, these, a lot of these students are like, they're a little older. And so they'll say, uh, well, yeah, I used to play guitar in high school and college. And then I put it down for 20 years and now I'm picking it back up. Right. You know, Absolutely. All the time. Nonstop. Recurring thing. And so, a lot of that, you know, I think this past year, a lot of guys, you know, guys getting back into it and, and just, you know, thank God for that because that, that really saved me this year, you know? Absolutely. You and me both. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in, in some ways, well, obviously, you know, you, it, it's great to be out playing, but you know, the other thing you don't, you don't consider when you're, when you're traveling all the time is that, you know, yeah, you have that extra source of money coming in, but then you right. also have all those all those extra expenses, <laughs> you know right. what I mean? And inevitably you build up the expenses and the credit card or whatever else. And then it comes time to, Oh, I took the money out to pay the credit card, but yet you use the money for something else. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah. <laughs> so now it, like, there's none of those. Like, you pay off everything, no credit card debt, no nothing. Right. It's just, it's just weird. You know, I had a couple of buddies that um, I won't name their names, but um, some friends of mine that do make all their their bread from touring you know these aren't session guys or or anything they're they're solo artists and they go out and they and they tour and they're always on the road constantly just total road dogs and so these guys i heard it from more than one person they said that uh 2020 they didn't tour at all and they ended up saving money right <laughs> because of paying the band and the hotels and stuff and it looks like you're really busy playing all the time all year long but not realizing how much it's costing to do absolutely it. i did an interview with, with robin ford also that's going to be out on his new website at some point coming up when that launches and this new thing he's doing and 
I was the first guest, which was, I was flattered. He lives right over here now in my neighborhood. So oh, no kidding. I went over to his house and sat and talked with him for a couple hours and, and, uh, um, oh man, what were we just, uh, what were we just talking about? About not traveling? Oh, oh yeah. And he was asking me, he goes, Hey, have you ever, you know, gone out and done any touring under your own name and, or something like that came up and I said, man, I never really did because, other than a couple, you know, little guitar centric festivals and stuff like that here and there, some private gigs or whatever. And in Nashville, I like to play with my, you know, a trio and stuff like sure. that, but, but not to go out and do it where I would do like, you know, 10 or 15 dates out of town. And, and so I just, you know, the reason why I think is just because I was already making a living in Nashville playing with these other people and, and kind of had that thing going. And I thought, well, it just doesn't make any sense to go out and try to do it, you know? And um, I just, well, I just always thought that I'd go broke doing it, you know? Well, it's definitely, you know. Questions I'd love to. I would love to go do that. Sure, absolutely. I was like, I like to do it in town too. Or, you well, know. there you go. <laughs> Whatever works is my motto. Well, speaking of Nashville and and all that kind of stuff, give us a little uh, yeah. rundown of, of how, when you came to Nashville. And I know you, it, it, uh, how quick was the Don Kelly thing after you moved there and all that kind of stuff. Give us a little lowdown on how that all worked. Yeah, so I was playing, um, I've played music my whole life. Uh, when I was down on the Gulf Coast, we had a great band, and I worked with some different songwriters and stuff down there and played some bluegrass gigs and stuff growing up, and then got into playing, you know, more electric guitar um, live and stuff like that. And so, but I grew up playing a lot of acoustic guitar and mandolin also. But uh, so down on the Gulf Coast, the, the cool thing about it, the backstory is that there was a, a songwriters festival down there called the Frank Brown International Songwriters Festival. And that was every November. And so that was, you know, if I would have lived up into the, you know, in the country in South Alabama uh, somewhere, I would have never met these people. But since I, we lived close enough to the beach, they had this bar down there called the Floribama and they had music down there all the time. Three stages, uh, music every day started at 11, kind of like, you know, like a honky tonk, almost like on Broadway where there's music all day long and, and all this stuff. And so uh really cool songwriters festival. So all these guys from Nashville would come down every year and I was already playing out there. Uh, and so I got to meet all these guys. And so they said, Hey, you know, you're, you're 18 or 19 or whatever, you, you know, you need to maybe think about, you know, have you ever thought about moving to Nashville? And we were in the pool room one night at like three o'clock in the morning. And this friend of mine goes, he goes, hey, uh, you know, you, you should really think about moving to Nashville. And I, I looked at him. I said, what am I supposed to do? Just pack my stuff and move up there? And he goes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what you did. I go, like, okay. So I'm like 22 or something, and I, I was getting burned out on the golf, and we played all the gigs and all the stuff and and had a good band down there and, and everything. But um, but uh, then I moved to Nashville. And then so I didn't know. The only thing I knew to do in Nashville was go, to, go down to Roberts and hear Don Kelly because – at the local music store in Pensacola, where I was born in Pensacola, but raised right on the Alabama side, so like right, right on the state line down there. And so, um, I, I went to the local music store one day, and uh, I heard this music playing in the background. I said, "Well, who is that?" I heard all these really cool uh, steel bends and stuff, and great Telecaster tone. And and they go, "Oh man, this is this guy Johnny Highland that that uh, plays with Don Kelly down at Roberts." And so. I didn't know what else to do. I, you know, all these songwriters I knew couldn't really help me because you got to, you know, have to, you know, pay a, a little bit of dues. And so they couldn't just, you know, they couldn't really help a whole lot. I mean, they threw my name around a little bit, but I still kind of had to, you know, sure. get, my, get my foot in the door here. So 
I started going down to Roberts and just hanging out in the doorway, met the band, told Don, like, hey, man, you know, if Johnny ever can't make it one night, you know, I'd love to sit in. If you need a sub or anything, just trying to kind of get my foot in the door. And so this went on for probably what seemed to be like maybe a couple months, I guess. And um, Don was like, well, we don't ever let anybody sit in. And, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, I, and at this point I knew everybody in the band because I was going down there every night. And so finally I was standing out on the sidewalk one night and one of the songwriter buddies from the, the Bama walked by. This guy, Joe's son, he walked by. And uh, I was standing there talking to Don and Joe goes, hey, Don, he goes, you got to, you got to, you know, let this guy, you know, sit in sometime. And that was my after that, he let me sit in and he goes, OK, come down next Sunday. And it was snowing and ice everywhere. And I drove down there. It was completely dead downtown. And so parked right in front of Roberts, went in and sat in with him a little bit. And Don finally goes, he goes, hey, Johnny's leaving. If you want the gig, it's, it's yours. And I said, well, absolutely. You know, and so got the gig with him, played with him for four years, four nights a week. Wednesday, we did Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday, six to ten uh, every week. And so, man, my chops from playing right. that much were so good back then. Uh, and I don't mean good like my playing was good. I just mean like my hands were Sure. Everything was working. Everything was working. Right. And I was young. And so, and we played, played a lot of uh, really fast stuff, up-tempo stuff, which I'm, you know, I'm kind of, it's nice to slow down a little bit <laughs> now, <laughs> uh, but man, some of those tunes were burning and, and it was just a great hit, you know, lesson in learning how to play, you know, country music the right way and, and the shuffles and stuff that are just all so much fun to play and stuff. So you know, it was a great, it was great. And so the cool thing about Don was about a year or so into that gig, I started getting, you know, toured with Patty Loveless for a long time. And I worked with Jerry Douglas for six or seven years and played on a bunch of their, their records. But um, the cool thing was, is even though I got some of those gigs from, from, you know, I guess from playing with Don, I don't, I don't, right. I don't know. I think they came down in hers, but so anyway, the cool thing about Don was even if I, you know, if I went out of town for a weekend with Patty or something and I came back, he, he let me have the gig. He would just get a sub. Right. And so that was really cool of him to do. And so I kind of had the best of both worlds. I could still go out and tour, come back to Nashville and I had a, a weekly gig. And so it just worked out good. And, and man, you know, I've just been so lucky. I think, I think my, the fact that my family has really good taste in music, I didn't grow up like most guitar players. Um, I played a lot of original music. And, and so, uh, and not my own, but with other people, you know, other people's original music. And so right. what was interesting was their taste in music. And my, my dad's youngest brother is a self-taught musician and played a lot of bluegrass and folk kind of stuff. And, you know, I never had a babysitter. They, they would always take me to these picking parties where, where people were drinking and partying, but the, everything was revolved around music. There was always a circle of about 20 people playing Irish fiddle tunes and bluegrass and John Prine's songs and stuff. And so, my point of all that is the thing that, that I, that I kind of have started to realize is like, I didn't grow up listening to the Beatles or Led Zeppelin. I didn't learn any cover songs. And so I didn't learn any of those guitar parts off of any of those records. Like a lot of, you talk to a lot of guitar players and they go, well, I heard Led Zeppelin for the first time and I wanted to get a Les Paul. It's like, man, I didn't even know who Led Zeppelin was or what they <laughs> like. I was listening to some like, you know, uh, I don't know who, you know, Back then, I mean, I, I didn't listen to any rock bands. I didn't learn any, like, classic rock songs or any of that. You know, a little bit of Almond Brothers and some Southern rock and blues and stuff. But right. I just didn't – it was so weird, you know. And so I don't know any of those classic riffs or parts or anything. <laughs> I mean, isn't that kind of weird, being an electric guitar player? I mean, I don't know. 
Well, it's, you know, it all depends. I mean, everyone gets their perspective from, you know, where they, yeah, you know, I, by, by how they grew up, you know, I mean, I, my, my age is such that, you know, most of the guys that I knew that were my age were the oldest in their family. Like I was the, I was a, like a oops. So I was the youngest of seven kids, but like five years, you know what I mean? So for my, for my closest siblings. So I grew up listening to all the music of my older brother who went to high school between 1966 and 1970. So it was all right. Hendrix and, you know, cream and the stones right. and Beatles. All that kind of stuff. Whereas most of the people my age were all either, you know, into metal or into like, you know, punk or new wave or whatever the case right. may be. Probably, you know, the most popular band of people my age, that of people that thought they were musicians or, you know, proposed to be musicians was Rush. You know what I mean? They were all like, yeah. Rush, you know, which is nothing wrong with it. But I'm just saying, I it, to your point, it's like it depends on, you know, what you get exposed to. And yeah, and that those formative years, man, they um, once that, you know, that um, it, it really sets your tastes and your vision for music. In a in yeah. a very a concrete way, it does, and and I mean I'm proud of that now. You know, I've kind of gotten over that, and I mean, and I think that might be why I'm not like a. I think that might that part of that is is probably why I'm not like an you know, first call session guitarist in in Nashville. I mean, I do, you know, some recording and stuff like that, and I'm happy to with you know and love the people that I get to work with. I'm I'm super lucky, but. I'm not in the studio every day, like, you know, like a lot of my friends are, you know? And so I think it's because I'm not a chameleon. I mean, when I play, it's like, it, it, it kind of just, it, it, it is what it is. It's not, um, I'm not a guy that can, and I think it's because I didn't learn a lot of those parts and listen to records in the way that, that, you know, somebody that wants to be in the studio all the time might, you know, really get in and dig in and, and learn how to get all these different tones and all this different stuff. I'm kind of like, you know, if I, if I grabbed, you know, five guitars, I'm going to sound kind of the same on all of them, you know? I got you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so a lot of these guys obviously are chameleons and can go and, you know, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to grab my Strat and I'm going to dial this sound in and then I'm going to do that. I, I just never have been able to do that. I, I kind of like, like plug in and turn on a little reverb and that's kind of what it is, you know? Well, it, plus it's, it's changed a lot down there. Has it not? I mean, for, in terms of, you know, what is, con what is perceived as country music now is really kind of just, southern rock in a lot of ways right yeah it is and, and pretty pretty heavy uh pop influence yep. now you know and a lot of um a lot of kind of i mean i don't even know now i mean it's kind of it was kind of rock guitar heavy there for a while and then now i think it's you know it's starting to you know you hear guys doing some some cool like almost uh retro sounding stuff on these right. records now which is cool it's kind of some of the like casey musgraves and stuff like that but um but yeah, I'm kind of out of touch with that world. I, I never was, you know, I never played on a lot of pop country records or anything like that. You know, I've well, how about back in the day when you were in Don Kelly's band? Was you were, were you doing a few more sessions back then and stuff like that? Or yeah, I was doing a little bit more back then, and then now I think people know that I'm just kind of doing my own thing. With you know, I mean, the education thing has really become a big. Uh, part of, you know, definitely my income stream, especially right. like we talked about this past year, but, you know, I'll do some touring with John Oates. I love working with him. He's such yeah, a I was going to ask you about that. Really good friend of mine. Really, really, really fantastic guy. I, I miss him. And, uh, I mean, I can't say enough good things about that guy. He's just a really, really solid dude. And, um, I love playing music with him and the, and the band that, that we have. And, um, 
God, I, I hope that comes back too. Cause I, I just missed those guys. And, you know, here's the funny thing, even the gigs we did this past year, like we did some Christmas show stuff and, and some of this kind of stuff that was filmed and obviously back, you know, we were all masked up and, and socially distancing and everything. And so the thing about that was, I remember talking to my mom after the, after this gig we did with Oates uh, during the day, we, we did, it was like a Christmas show thing that we filmed. And, and so it was an early gig, like four o'clock or something. And I called her on the way home. And I just, I remember kind of just feeling kind of disappointed because even though we went and actually played live music together, it was, it, it, what you realize is it's so much more than just the playing of the music. It's the pre-show hang, the post-show hang, you know, having dinner afterwards with the guys and just the whole, sure. the whole camaraderie that goes along with it. It's not just because we did actually play music together, but I still felt unsatisfied when I right. left because we didn't get to hang like we normally do, you know? Right. And right. so you really realize like that it's just this thing is a, it's music is a living, breathing thing. And it really does mean so much to us that, you know, we're affected by it, you know, no question. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, you're mentioning your, your folks and in, in, in your background that your uncle played, yeah. were, were your parents, uh, you don't have any brothers and sisters, do you? Are you, are you, uh, I'm an only child. Yeah. An only child. Yeah. So we, we how, a, only child guitar player. What a disaster. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, were your parents <laughs> real supportive of you going into music or were they kind of like super, okay. super supportive? I come from um, a, a super progressive family there. My mom and dad are amazing people and um, they're in their early seventies and, and are super healthy and not, no, you know, no medication. They're just so awesome. They're just really great in every way. And so I just learned, um, uh, you know, from playing with my uncle after school, we'd, we'd play a lot together. So the cool thing about that was my mom and dad are not musicians. They don't play music at all, but they had really good taste in music. Guys like Sam Bush and Bela Fleck, all the new acoustic uh, musicians, new grass revival. They were huge fans of that band. And so I got a, a good taste of that stuff from a really young age from when I was born, you know? And so um, I think that had a lot to do with it. I, I would play music with my uncle after school I looked up to him kind of like an older brother, super cool guy. And, um, and so, um, the thing about it was, is I had somebody to play with, you know, from the, the get go. So right. I, was, I was immediately playing with another person. And so thinking back about the education stuff now, a lot of guys don't have anybody to play with. And so right. thank God now there's like the loop pedal and stuff right. like that. And, and of course you can play along to records and stuff, but I think having somebody to, to play off of like that from an early age really helped, um, you know, just having, you know, having to be accountable for like, okay, if you make a mistake, keep going, right. This guy's not going to stop. You right. Know? Exactly. Yeah. And so you kind of learned how to play. And so, uh, I can't really, uh, say that I'd want to change anything. I didn't really have much of a, of a, uh, sc a schooling situation. I mean, I quit school two weeks into the 10th grade and never went back, did some homeschooling in middle school. And my parents were kind of just trying to figure out what to do with me probably. And, but they were very supportive, never, never pressured to get married and have kids, even though I'm an only child and my mom loves babies and stuff. But, you know, it's like, I, I never had any pressure to get married and have kids, never pressured to, you know, f go to college and do something else or anything. It was just, okay, this kid's got some talent, I guess. Let's let him Love find it, thing. you know? Cool. And so super supportive, and they still are, you know? I mean, I'm 42. I just turned 42 in February. 
And, um, you know, my mom, every once in a while, will ask me, you know, like, Hey, you know, are you seeing anybody? Are you still, you know, what's going on? And so, and I'm, I mean, I'm kind of not, I'm just, I'm single. I'm like the, you know, I'm like the poster, you know, child for a uh, single bachelor guitar player in Nashville. <laughs> I mean, here it is, right? <laughs> like, there we are. The so trap method. So they're, yeah, so they're just, yeah, they're, they're very cool people. I was raised around a lot of artists and musicians and it, w- which is odd because I am from a, a very conservative area, the Gulf coast, you know? And, um, and so my mom and dad are just, they're, they're like, you know, quintessential, like actual hippies in the heart, right. you know? Right, right. Sure. And so my dad built the house I grew up in. It's a geodesic dome home that, that we, that he built from scratch, the whole thing. And, and so, um, just cool. Like I said, you know, earlier, I think about this stuff now as I get a little older, but yeah, I didn't have a, I never had a babysitter, you know, I'm like maybe I can think of like one or two times where I actually had, um, to stay with somebody else while my parents went off and did something. And so they would always take me with them to these parties. And I'd be a, you know, little kid and my dad would throw me up over his shoulder and I'd be asleep and we'd get in the car and drive home after, right. you know, and they're, they're not big partiers. My mom and dad aren't, aren't big drinkers or anything like that. And so it was all, it was all very safe and, 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 and cool and wholesome, but there was a lot of picking parties and, and just a lot of, um, a lot of great memories from, from back then. And and somehow I I just got lucky to be in that little, very small uh, hip music community on the Gulf coast. And there's not much, but we found it, you know? Right. Cool. And so so it was cool. Yeah. These guys would play, you know, a lot of bluegrass and Irish fiddle tunes and all this kind of stuff. So I was definitely exposed to some different stuff for sure. You know? which I'm proud of now. I mean, I, I used to kind of chase that getting circling back to the, the session thing, you know, I used to chase that pretty hard. And and I was like, you know, I got to, okay, what's this guy using? I, I'm going to get these amps and these pedals and stuff like that. And then finally I just went, man, that's not who you are. Right. You're chasing something that you're really not even interested in. It's just the session thing is such the brass ring in Nashville. Right. But then I got over that after being here for so long, I just went, man, there's more ways to, to skin a cat. And especially here now, I mean, there's so many people moving here now and just people are just doing all kinds of different stuff. It exactly. used to be a little, you know, it's so diverse here now. I mean, all kinds of music, all kinds of artists, you know, it's all changed. So I love it. I'm, I'm still loving living here and, and I love my little neighborhood I live in and, you know, to, to run into um, some of my favorite guitar players in the world at the coffee shop every day, Robin will be in there and, and he likes to come to this little restaurant behind my house. And I'll run into David Greer, who's a monster right. flat picker. And and just it's just cool. It's a it's a it's a great, it's a great community. And I'm lucky, man. I'm a lucky dude. I can dig it. Yeah. We interrupt this regularly scheduled gristle-infested conversation to give a special shout out to our friends at Fishman Transducers, makers of the Greg Cock signature fluence gristle tone pickup set. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, bringing the heat in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. Well, going back to when you were a youngin on the golf course, the golf coast playing around. <laughs> I say golf course. You're on the golf course. Uh, <laughs> were, were you uh, initially attracted electric guitar wise to the Telecaster right away, or was that? just something that became like, well, I guess I should play one of these or was that the guitar that was available to you or how did it all come to be? 
Man, it's just a good question. Um, my uncle always had instruments laying around. You know, he had, there was banjos and fiddles and mandolins and, you know, some, uh, he had an old Martin that I played for a while. And everybody also had some electric guitars and stuff too. So I first started gravitating towards learning um, some of these fiddle tunes on the acoustic guitar and right. do, learning some bluegrass and stuff. But at the same time, I would plug into his little, uh, some sort of little Fender amp back then. And I would, I would jam along to, to some blues and, and rock records, like uh, not a lot of rock, but like Johnny Winter, the Almond Brothers, mm -hmm. some Leonard Skinner, even I think back then, which Southern rock was not a big part of our uh, family down there. But, but I did like somebody had a Leonard Skinner record and I ended up jamming along to that a couple of times or something. But so I was, I was learning how to play some electric guitar at the same time, but wasn't really gigging with it yet. And then that came, that came a couple of years later and I started kind of learning how to get some tones and what amps to use. And I went through that, you know, as a kid, you know, just sure. went through everything, had a bunch of guitars, didn't know anything about pickups. And then finally that kind of started dialing in a little bit. I had a couple buddies that uh, had lived in New York for a long time that I ended up starting a band with and, uh, they turned me on to a lot of stuff. And so that was a good, and of course they were attracted to the Gulf coast. So that's another connection to that. And so, uh, so these guys turned me on to like Cuban music and, you know, all these other, you know, some jazz for the first time, real, you know, real, real jazz and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, that kind of, that kind of helped kind of get that thing going. There was a guitar player that did some sessions in New York. He kind of started showing me a couple of tricks and how to actually get some tone or, or whatever, you know, but it was, it was interesting, man. I mean, it, it just kind of all seemed to somehow come together. I, I think somebody, I think one of those guys turned me on to Danny Gatton. Okay. And I know that really kind of opened my eyes to like, wow, this guy's incorporating all these different styles into like one solo. Right. And I went, man, that's, that's really cool. I love that. And so I went through a phase of, of really learning a lot from him. I actually learned a lot uh, from his video. Right. Um, I learned some of the licks and stuff that he did, but I also learned like his, approach to i guess what you would call some jazz theory or something but it's basically my kind of the way of looking at it was that i learned from him and he called it his hillbilly jazz approach right just playing superimposing some different stuff and so when i learned like oh he's playing in in e but he's playing in you know ideas out of b minor or or right. d major seven and just looking at it like that and not like what scale it is. Right. That really helped because I could see it and hear it and it made perfect sense. And it wasn't academic really. It was, sure. it wasn't like, okay, here's the scale and, and here's the, these are what the notes are. It was like, here's the shape and here's the sound that you can use over this. And man, that really opened up a lot of, a lot of doors for me, you know? I can dig it. And then, uh, a bunch of Tony Rice. I learned a bunch of Tony Rice stuff when I was younger and just, you know, I, I, I wouldn't change anything now. I'm pretty happy with, with how things are going. I mean, I need to, I need to be working more. It's funny when you start making a living doing this, you don't practice as much as, as you should, or would hope to. Does, does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I've probably played more guitar in the last year <clears throat> because of COVID being in my house and having to do, but yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, when you're, 
you know, when you're doing all the other, um, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's of all right. the business stuff right. and making the calls or doing the emails or yeah. whatever the case may be. It's uh, yeah, absolutely. Kind of a double-edged sword because you're not as motivated to, if you're already kind of doing this, what we do for a, for a living, we're not as motivated with that part of it as we are just keep, like you said, keeping all the other stuff going. Right. It's like, oh, I should actually be getting better as a musician also. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. You know, I, I, I was thinking about this the other day and, you know, and I, I do a fair bit of Skype lessons in between mm -hmm. all the whatever else. And yeah. And, um, you know, at some point, you, you know, you, I would, I'm tr trying to tell these people who are, you know, I'm sure you get the same thing. I play the same thing over and over again and I just hate the way I play and yada, yada, mm -hmm. yada. And one of the things I always try to tell them, I go, well, nothing, you know, as guitar players, we always think at some point down the line, I'm going to play something that's worth a shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> we're all, we're never content with where we're at, right? It's always yeah. like, yeah, but, you know, at some point, you know, and, th and that point never arrives because you're always striving for something else. Right. Um, but all of a sudden you get to a point where you're like, nothing is stopping you from creating great music with the skills that you have and whatever those skills may be in the present moment. Right. And and there needs to be some kind of just acceptance of, okay, these are the things that I do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. I'm going to make sure that they're in battle condition. Right. So that when I speak my thing, people know, oh, that's that guy. And that's what he has to say. Now I might right. add some vocabulary to that and so on and so forth. Right. But when, you know, when you're young, you don't, you never take that, that stance. It's always like, no, this is never enough. I never want to play that same lick ever again on record. I can't, <laughs> have you know what i mean it always has yeah. to be something new and different but then you know you realize guys like you know from bb king to you know clapton to uh you know you name it mark Knopfler, whoever the case may be right. they, they got their grab bag and you know they you might hear something new but for the most part it's like you know what they're gonna say but you always want to hear it you know what right. i mean right yeah exactly yeah we'll talk about a a singular artistic voice Right. Those guys you just mentioned. I mean, you you hear one note from those guys and you know exactly who it is. Exactly. Isn't that interesting, though? It's a great point because you're right. I mean, those guys, they definitely have a bag of stuff, but it's so good. It's just, it's just undeniable. I, I'm, a, I'm a big uh, Mark Knopfler fan. Most people know that, but um, a huge fan of his playing and his tone and everything, of course, and and I finally, what's weird is he, he comes to Nashville and plays. He plays at the Ryman and stuff, usually a couple times, you know, once every couple of years. And it, I just saw him for the first time in uh, 2019. And I saw him twice. I saw him at the Ryman, finally. And then I saw him out in uh, L.A. at the Greek Theater. We flew out there and saw him again. And I know some of his band pretty well. Uh, and Richard Bennett is awesome. Yeah, good, yeah, like, yeah. Richard is so great. And then Glenn Wharf and stuff. And he's got some different drummers that he uses, but um, finally saw him live and I was just blown away. And it's funny, my, my, uh, of course we love his tone. And so my buddy called me or texted me or something on the, I was on the way down to the Ryman and I get a text and, uh, and this guy goes, Hey, you know, uh, Mark, uh, Mark's using Kempers now. And I go, are you kidding me? I was like, God, I can't believe this. You know, I'm going down to hear Martin Offer for the first time. And he's going to be playing through a Kemper. And I go, oh, but I tell you, I got sounded down. Good. It was incredible. I mean, it sounded great, you know. And, they, of course, his tech, I think his tech is a, a friend of mine. Uh, I can't really, it was, it's weird. I, 
we've messaged back and forth. The reason I say it like that is because I don't know if I've met the guy in person, but we've been messaging back and forth on Instagram. I got you. Yeah. He sent me a message. So I say friends, but we've kind of just been texting a little bit back and forth. And he said that, yeah, they really dialed in Mark's tone with that. I mean, they really got in there and, and really dialed it in. I don't know how to use that stuff. You know, I'm not, I don't know how to use anything digital, you know? I hear you. And so I was, I was shocked to hear that, but then I, I get, I guess I get it. I mean, it's so consistent and, and it sounded great. You know, you didn't miss anything. Last time I saw, I, I think I've seen, well, I saw Dire Straits once mm-hmm. uh, on the Brothers in Arms tour. Oh, that would have been a good one. That was good. Yeah, I bet. Um, Although it's <laughs> it's interesting. I remember, I don't remember much about the show. I remember getting there and sitting down. But, you know, I used to like to tip a few back then. So there's, <laughs> there are there are swatches of time that are, are gone forever. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but then I saw him do a show uh, with Bob Dylan. He was on tour with Bob Dylan. He was opening for Dylan. Yeah. And um, I know he produced some of those records. Yeah, he did uh, Slow Train Coming and then he did Infidels. And I love those records. Infidels. I love that record. Yeah. Mick Taylor is on guitar, too. Great record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, that's, I mean, it, what's interesting, what I thought about that show was so interesting about Knopfler's approach at that point in time is that he did, he did that one, two, he did that Sonny Liston tune and he's playing, uh, he's playing, uh, Les Paul and, um, he's got this pasty tone and he's doing this thing mm-hmm. and it was really the only time of the whole night that he actually like aired it out a little bit as far as like, you know, going off a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I just thought it was so interesting that he was of the mindset. I mean, it literally seemed like instead of building a solo, I'm actually going to diminish it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it came out like. <laughs> and it was just so weird. And I, I dug it, of course. But yeah. to show you just how mitigated the dynamics were for the night. They closed with so far away, and it rocked so hard. You're thinking that's not even remotely the most rocking tune in their arsenal. You know what I mean? But but that's how kind of mellow his show was. But the one thing I thought of when they're playing so far away and it's it's rocking, you're like this this son of a bitch could fill stadiums tomorrow. You know what I mean? If he just put together Dire Straits again and went, but he, of course he has no interest in doing that. And some right. interesting interviews with him and stuff on that subject. But because the whole reason I started chicken picking to begin with was because of Dire Straits. I just love the sound of that clean Fender guitar. And in that percussive thing, I didn't know what it was called at the time, but I just thought, yeah. man, I, I need me that. <laughs> I love it, man. You know, what's funny is I'm bad about, you know, I'm bad about my my library of, of records and knowledge of, you know, I haven't heard, you know, a lot of records that people are like, I mean, you got to hear that record. Sure. I never heard it, you know. It took me like 10 years to listen to John Mayer, you know. Right. It's like the more I hear somebody's name, kind of the less I'm interested in. You know? I hear you. I'm with you 100%. But, but, um, and now, of course, you know, I'm a fan. But um, but uh, with Mark, going back to Dire Straits, those first two records are right. just, man, he played some great stuff on there, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that the first was, record especially is just. The first record, man. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Just so fantastic. You know, and then the other day, just for that, I mean, not the other, it seems like the other day, it was, it was probably 10 years ago, but <laughs> I, I, you know, I remember messing, you know, and I don't know about you, but I've never been one to 
like learn every nook and cranny off of a record. It's like right. I'll hear something in a tune that I dig that I want for right. mine, and I'll and I'll and I'll start messing around with it. And sometimes I don't get it exactly, but I'm like, yeah, but I kind of like this better. You know what right. I mean? And then, right. and then right. I'm off on my merry way. Yeah. And one of those things was years ago when I was first messing around with that record, um, the first Dire Straits record. I'd play along with setting me up. But I knew he was in a tuning, but I had no desire to figure out what was going on. So I just kind of took what I could and realized, yeah, some of those licks are only going to sound good if I get in that tune. And then I decided <laughs> years later, I said, screw it. So I tuned to open A, and I started messing around, and all those licks fell into place. And it was Is that like, what he's doing? I didn't know that. Yeah, he's in open A. So if you ever want a little bit of fun, just tune to open A and start messing around with that tune. Wow, I didn't know that. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, the old the old slide tuning, but obviously he's not playing slide. He's just playing, uh, you know, conventional fingering. But man, it's yeah. it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. Well, how about that green telly thing of yours? When did you put that thing together? What's the story behind that beast? Yeah, I've got I've got this one here. This is my uh, this is the original the 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 original Floyd. Doesn't have any. Um, serial number or, or name or anything on it just like no markings I, I always say this thing's like priceless and worthless at the same time <laughs> you know? kind of like me I'll never, <laughs> I'll never be able to replace it but it's not worth anything either because it's just it's it is what it is it's it's the floyd right so um so there's that one this one is the original it's been beaten to death i've got i mean obviously i've got that's taped up i mean it's i just, like it it's a MacGyvered, the MacGyver yeah. caster. It, it's MacGyvered, and then and then I just got this one. Um, I think I think Floyd was wanting to uh, hook me up because I've helped him sell a few guitars just for people, you know, just by me mentioning his name and stuff. But but uh, so he he gave me this one, and it's pretty nice. cool. It's got a matching headstock. Actually, cool. it actually has his name on that one. But um, this is a good sounding guitar. I need to get. It needs a little. A little uh, intonations, uh, stuff like that, but a little work, but, but, uh, it sounds good. It's a good piece of wood. He knows how to pick good wood. So, uh, yeah, I'm digging this thing. So that's the new one. Cool. And then, um, I, man, I'm so like, I'm not the person to, to talk gear with because I just, I just don't know anything. I don't know what kind of frets those are. I don't know what, uh, I, I love it. I do know that that's the the the, the Fender. Oh, no, no, no. The Fralin vintage Fralin okay. pickups. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think the pickups in my original Floyd are just Mexican Tele pickups. Oh no, kidding. We never changed them. If it so, works, there you go. But people ask like, "Hey, man, what what kind of neck radius do you like, or what kind of?" I'm like, "Man, I I don't know if it if it plays good and and you can get around on it. I'm happy, you know." Yeah, I understand. And that's kind of it. I I, I see so many people. Um, you know, gear is just such a awful distraction for a lot of guys that are that are learn that are that are learning. You know, I mean, we we I, of course we have to have good working gear and right and and stuff. But you know, and I should work at my tone and stuff more. But you know, a lot of guys, I think it's easy to go online and look at stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and versus like just shut the computer and put a record on and like. Look, take what you already have and learn Absolutely. to learn how to play something, you know? Well, yeah, they're all online checking out these various gear videos. And uh, <laughs> right. as long as they're watching mine, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. But, but, you know, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I always just say, it's like, look, gear is, gear is just to inspire you to play. It's not right. to inspire you to buy more stuff. I mean, right, don't, right, right. don't get me wrong. 
everyone at Wildwood Guitars wants them to continue to do so. And 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 I'm one of them. I'm the worst. I'm always on, you know, I get out my phone at night and I go on, I go on their new arrivals page and I start seeing the guitars like, you know, and then I'll, I'll get some new stuff and I'm like, I'm good. No, I'm good. No, I'm yeah. good. And then all of a sudden I'll think, oh, did, you know, they came out with these things now. And I'll be like, <laughs> And then I'll be on the phone checking it out. And, you know, I got to think as, as much as, you know, my main guitar was never a Les Paul. I always love Les Pauls, always just dreamed and drooled about getting a Les Paul. And so when I started doing the videos for Wildwood, mm-hmm. you know, at first I was still doing the Fender thing a bit. And then it's like I'm doing more stuff for Wildwood than I am for for Fender. And and I, you know, I played a 335 all through college. That, that, was, that was my guitar. Like right. late teens, I got a 335, and that was my main guitar. Um, but I always wanted a freaking Les Paul. So I started doing these videos for Les Paul, and then I just wanted one in the worst way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up getting some really nice custom shop Les Pauls. Nice. And then at some point that that 53 telly came into Wildwood that was you know, it's 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 kind of a mongrel, but yet not so much. It's like a fifty-two neck with the fifty-three body, but the pickups wow. are all straight and the hardware is all straight. But it's a spray over. It's been refretted. I wanted it, so I ditched uh, all my custom shop Les Pauls so that I wouldn't have to harvest an organ to buy this guitar. Right, right. So I, I ended up getting the tally, but then I wanted another Les Paul. So then I ended up getting um, just before Christmas. I bought bought a Wildwood spec. Uh, 58 Lester, but now they got all those Murphy lab, you know, kind of just a little bit distressed versions. And I I don't know what it is. They just, (laughs) Les Paul, I don't know what it is. You know, I guess it's from having the Jimmy Page poster on my wall and Dwayne Allman and Bloomfield and Cream Era Clapton and freaking Peter Green. You know, all these guys had those Uh, guitars. Those are, that's the Mount Rushmore right there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've never had a good one. I, I, uh, I've had some, but never, never a good one. I don't have a, I'm this, people are going to laugh at this. I'm sitting here looking at a couple of guitars, but I don't have a Strat and I don't have a Les Paul. I don't even own one. How ridiculous is that? It's, call yourself, call it's yourself, not ridiculous. I mean, call yourself a guitar player and not even own a Stratocaster. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever it takes, but you know what that means? That means there's always time to, to get one. Right. And you know I how it like, is once you I get like, one. I do like a strap, you know, one, you know, there's nothing like the front pickup. But um, but I will say that the the telly and the 335 are my two favorites. And I think it might be because of that reason. There's there's the least amount of moving parts. Right. I agree. Yep. And it's just that's what you get, and you get uh two pickups and you're you're on your way. A strap kind of um I never felt really comfortable on a strap because of all that stuff, you know, right. Three pickups, five way switch, three, you know, two tones of volume. It was always something in the way, you know, right. My, and plus it's hard to get one to f- sound good in all five positions. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the, my picking hand was always right there at the, at the middle pickup, you know, and trying to work around that. But I think I might've gravitated towards the telly and the three thirty five because of playing so much acoustic guitar when I was younger uh, and uh, and it's just they 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 seem to be just really just you know solid you know right and like I said not as not as many moving parts uh, and I do a lot of like you too but uh, do a lot of uh, multiple string bends and so a guitar with tremolo never worked for yeah, that you know exactly 
And so I think the country thing might've had something to do with it, but I do love the 335, man. It's such yeah. a great guitar. Yeah. They're uh they're a warm sounding beast. Love them. And mine, uh, I just found out uh, a couple years ago, I've got a 69 335. I should be right around here. I think it's downstairs. And, uh, and so, um, we took it to Memphis and we did some stuff with Jack Pearson over there. And, yeah. and, uh, the guy looked inside of it and he goes, man, he goes, I think the same guy that signed the inside of yours was the same guy that did Larry Carlton's. So it might've been around the same. Uh, act or something. But I thought that was kind of cool. I mean, I, I, I normally don't, I don't really know much of the history of these guitars, but that's a good one. And it was very reasonable. I think that guitar was like $3,700. Uh, and so you can get, you can still get some some deals on an instrument that has some character, you know. Sure, absolutely. And I'm like, I've never spent more than, I've never spent more than that on a guitar ever. My mandolin was the most expensive instrument I've ever bought. I think it was like five grand or something. But right. I've never had a twenty thousand dollar guitar, you know, or even a ten thousand dollar guitar. I just always kind of used what works. And well, I, I, I tell the story many harder. times about you know when I <laughs> went back in you know. Back in the mid eighties, um, I'd go into a music store and the guys that were older than me were like, you should just get an old strat. You know, you can get an old strat. You can get an old strat for like 1200 bucks. I could find you one, you know? And I'm like, 1200, 1200 bucks to me in 1985 would have, was, it was like $10,000. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm the, what? And, uh, so I just, of course now all those guitars would be, you know, 20 grand plus. Yeah. And uh, it's crazy, but yeah, it's it's really wild. I mean, you know, I did a, a talk with, uh, had a chat with Jason Isbell a few weeks back. Oh, nice! And he was talking to me about that 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 Les Paul that he, got. he bought Ed King's Les Paul, you know, and oh, and right, he's telling right. and, and as he's telling the story, you know, it's a fun story about he checks this guitar out and and uh, at at Carter Vintage, and he just can't get his mind off this thing. So he so he talks to his. Um, his accountant and says, no, there's no way you're buying a guitar. That, that's like, that's ridiculous. So he talked to his agent and he said to his agent, you know, is there, you know, how, is there any like corporate gigs or like weird birthday parties or whatever that we could do above and beyond what we normally do so that I could buy this guitar? And they said, yeah. And he goes, so I bought it. And then after I got done interviewing him, I looked online, like how much was that guitar? It was listed for 650 grand. Wow. So then I'm thinking, so say he got a deal on it. So what is that? 625? Wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That's crazy. <sighs> yeah. And then, you know, of course, you know, Bonamassa's got about 12 of those those guitars as well. So, but you know, it's interesting when you play one of those old guitars, I mean, you know, those old, I don't know if you've ever messed around with it, like just played an old 59 or, you know, when you get a good one, it's like a meaty sounding Telecaster. They're bright. Right. Totally different than any than what you would think. Yeah. They're, they're amazing. You know, it's so funny. I mean, people, you know, like I said, the, the people that are online looking at a lot of stuff. And of course, I mean, who doesn't love to look at these beautiful old guitars, but right. what they don't realize is, and I, I'm lucky to have Carter and Gruens and stuff right down the road. And so right. I can pop in and play whatever the inventory. The inventory at Carter's is pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, go in there and play some of these really, really uh, valuable vintage instruments. You realize that they're not all great. You no. know, they're. I mean, you you got to pick through 
a lot to find a, a really good one for a player, something that we could take and play on a gig. Right. You know, I'd, I'd immediately have to have, like if I bought a fifties telly, the first thing I'd have to do is put bigger frets on it because I right. can't bend on the vintage frets, you know? Right. And so you start changing stuff, but you know, I've just never, I've never found the one, you know, as right. far I would love to have a, a great fender telecaster from the fifties or sixties, but I've never had one. Yeah, yeah, well, it's interesting because now that I've got that that 53, I mean, I like to use it for certain things, but the neck pickup is microphonic as hell. Oh, wow. And so if I put any if I put uh, any gain on it, it starts howling like a beast, but it sounds so good clean yeah. that I don't want to mess with it. You want to change it, right. So right. it's just it's just kind of the guitar that does that one thing, and I love it. And that, But yeah. for a gigging guitar, it's not it. You know, it's not right, the one right. I'll use. Here's a little, here's a little um, uh, piece of information or advice maybe you want to call it for people that are that might be listening is um see if you agree with this one thing i did learn about uh, guitars especially uh was and i don't ever modify any amps either i just you know i use these old fenders with reverb like princeton's deluxes uh pro reverbs uh, vibrolux stuff like that and so pretty much all the same just different sizes you know but but um one thing that i did learn early on here was if you have a guitar that you start having to change a lot of stuff on because you're going to try to make it better, that's a kind of a slippery slope. Because right. if you're trying to make your telly into something that it's not, just let it be what it is. Right. You know, if you want a Les Paul, buy a Les Paul. And if you want a Strat, get a Strat. But when you start going down the road and changing a lot of stuff, pickups, bridges, you know, Every time I ever changed something like that, I, I just ended up getting rid of the guitar. You know? Sure, I hear you. Yep. So I did kind of learn, you know, let let these just let these things be kind of what they are. That's my approach. I mean, I'm kind of old school. I like traditional stuff, you know, when it comes sure. to guitars. But I did learn that if you have a guitar that's not tuning, not 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 playing in tune, and you start changing bridges and stuff, usually I'd say just get rid of it and get something else. Get something else. <laughs> I'm with you. So I don't know. That but might- it is amazing when you play some of the older guitars. You know, we, you know, there was, um, I remember when I was a kid, I had a thing for like, just like a late 60s Strat, like a six, yeah. that's what Hendrix played, right? Right, right. And I kind of dig every now and again, the bigger headstock vibe, right? So, yeah. and I, and so over a music store locally, they had a 68 Strat and I thought, you know, and there, and it wasn't like completely original. So the price was somewhat reasonable. Right. So I went over there and I picked it up. It's like the frets were you know, small. And it just, it's like, the, no, you know what I mean? It yeah. just, it's, it's like right. you have this image in your mind, but you get, especially when I go to Wildwood and I'm playing their, you know, Wildwood tens. So you got a 10 inch radius and the taller frets and, you know, and the pickups right. are dialed in. It's just like, you yeah, know, you want the vibe of those old guitars, but you want the modern playability. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. You want to be able to take it to a gig. Yes, exactly. And, and play it. And play it. And play it. Well, um, man, what do you got? What, what's your world looking like? Are, are things starting to open up a little bit up there? Or? Uh, they are a bit. I mean, we're getting, I'm getting a few things coming in. Um, and I got this Dallas guitar show coming up and I'm a little, I, I'm not sure. I'm, it was kind of funny. I was like, I'm listed to play at it. Uh-huh. And, uh, but I was kind of of the mind, well, if it happens and it's safe to go, I'll come, but it's, it's, it's like May 1st and it's, you know, yeah. it's down in Texas. So I, I have no idea 
if it's going to, if it's going to happen for me or not, you know, I got to make sure I get, I'm, I'm sure my family will be like, you're not going anywhere until you get your shots. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but other than, I mean, we got a new, what's that? You say you got one shot already? Not yet. Not yet. I'm, I'm oh. eligible. Cause I, you know, I, I have asthma every now and again. So I, I'm, I'm now on the list in Wisconsin, uh, that I can get on the list to get one. So I'm going to, I'm going to do that. So, wow. um, so get that going. But other than that, you know, with my trio, with my son and, and Toby on the organ, we got a, we're, we're going to new record coming out. And then we actually have another record already, uh, started recording. So okay. we're going to get that thing out. And then, you know, we, we finally got a really good agent in the States that was booking us a, a bunch right before, uh, COVID. And we were awesome. getting a, getting a good head of steam prior to that. Um, so we're hoping that hopefully by the fall, we can start doing some stuff. But in the meantime, I got to tell you the, the live streams we've been doing from the house, you know, people have been very, very generous. I mean, they, they, you know, the amount of money we've been making for the, for the live streams is, is commensurate with what a gig would be. And then, and then they buy all the merch. So it's, don't get me wrong as to your point, you want to go out and start playing, but you know, if if it has to remain as it is for a little while until things are absolutely safe, I'm it's, it'll be all right. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it beats the alternative of not doing anything. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly correct. Uh, and then around the area here, I mean, it'd be interesting to see about the outdoor festivals. I mean, you know, um, a, a few of them, like for September, are already kind of saying it's thumbs up. So we'll we'll see. But um, awesome. I remain cautiously optimistic, shall we say? Yeah. Right. 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 I know. What How about I- you? What's 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 on the uh, on the the forecast for the near future, the next few months? Well, um, just, I'm not really sure. I mean, there's some live stuff starting to come in. Like I said, there's some venues and stuff that have been reaching out and I'm noticing, you know, the energy's starting to pick up here a little bit in Nashville. Things are opening back up. Of course, we're in Tennessee. So people are, you know, downtown, it's like nothing ever happened, you know? Right. And so it's a little crazy. My neighborhood over here is is a little bit more, you know, kind of chill, but but uh, yeah, some live stuff coming up. Rudy's Jazz Club is is coming uh, back. We've got um, some stuff booked there. A couple other venues. Um, but you know, continuing the, uh, on with the education stuff, I'm going to go to New Orleans and hopefully do some recording down there with Doug and, and yeah. some of those guys. Well, say hello to Doug for me. Yeah, I will. Yeah, but yeah, just kind of starting to kind of like uh, uh, you know starting to come back out of the of the hibernation, you know, a little bit. So. I'm ready, man. I think, uh, I think everybody's ready. And then we're, of course, you know, when you physically move your body to a town, just based on music, I mean, I, I've got no ties to Nashville really other than the music here. I mean, and so when that rug gets pulled out from under you, even though you've you know, I've been here for like 18 years and I have all those memories and all that, you know, being busy for all that, that huge chunk of time, one year without it, it's kind right. of funny. I mean, you know, even though you've got all those memories and you could just, you could go, okay, well, one year, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to chill and this will be back. It's like, no, it's like music is so important to us and such a big part of our life. I was talking to a bunch of different people through this thing and you kind of lose your, your purpose a little bit and your identity. And so that becomes so much of, of who we are and what people think, you know, that, Sure. We are our our identity. And so what I have been saying is if you don't come out of 2020 with having learned a lot about yourself, right, you've kind of been asleep because I certainly had to go through that uh, period of uncomfortableness where I was just thinking like, 
hey man, you know, now you're you're not playing music. You're not out in front of people. You're not doing anything. You're just a, you now you're just kind of like a, a normal dude, you know. And right. and that can be taken away from any of us at any given moment. You know, music will always be inside of us. That's a beautiful thing. I mean, even if we had a, a, a you know an accident or something where we lost our hand or finger or something like right. that. You can't really, you could take the physical part of playing music away, but you can't take the spirit of it away. Right. And so it's just been an interesting thing. I mean, I've had to kind of go through a little unco- uncomfortable spot where I was like, okay, look, man, I'm, you know, you, we are, the music's inside of us, but it, it can't define our, our ultimate right. identity, you know? Right. Absolutely. Yep. And so we got to be okay with that, you know, and that was a huge lesson for me to learn. And I, I, I think it kind of made me a nicer person, <laughs> you know, and, and just to be so grateful looking back on this, just to be, you know, to have a lot of gratitude and, and to have, you know, some of these deep conversations where, where I do go back and think about what it was like to be a kid and having such a great family and, and just the support of all that and, and to be able to play music for a living. I mean, we're so lucky, you know, and right. And uh, and not just to be able to play music, but we're we're actually we, we are able to do what we love and make a living at it. And you've got a great family, and and we're I mean this is like you know this is a lot of people's we we kind of are living the dream, you know. Right. And so nothing has made me more grateful for that than this past year, you know. I can dig that. Yeah. They stripped the music away from me, and all you have is hundred percent lover and pirate. <laughs> I love it. Oh man, that's great. Well, I'm a lover and a pirate <laughs> song there somewhere. Lover and a pirate. Lover and a pirate. I love it. Oh man. Well, well Greg, thanks for, for having oh, me. My pleasure. Thank you so much. I'm glad we finally were able to get it together. And I, I hope to get down there soon. Yeah. As uh, soon as the, the stuff you know, clears up. We'll get back down there with the band. I'd love to have you come out and sit in with us and cause trouble. And, and then we'll get some food as I'm we do. To. Yes, sir. Anytime, man. We'll, uh, we'll, uh, good luck to you and everything. And, and I hope to see you soon. That absolutely. Same to you. And thanks again. And we'll see you soon. Adios. All right. See you, man. Thanks again. Adios. Bye-bye. Right, bye. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. Special thank you to Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, and the Mighty Fishman Transducers for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed yourself, ladies and gentlemen, please subscribe and review so that people can get the word out that this is worth experiencing. Can you dig it? Thanks again. We'll see you soon, or you'll hear me soon. 